Ray, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to talk to you about cybersecurity. So I hear your name a lot in this space. And uh, I guess I wanted to start with getting a little bit of a, an understanding of your past. You know, what drew you to cybersecurity? So why don't you give us a brief introduction? Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, Ray Soriano, I've been uh, with uh, Eisner Amper a few years now, a couple of years. Uh, I've been in the cybersecurity space going on 30 years, a little wow. over 30 years actually. Um, and uh, it's been it's been quite a ride for me and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I started with cyber, actually it wasn't called cyber at the time, it was called uh, data security mm -hmm. uh, back in the days, 1980s. Uh, and I used to work for a financial institution in uh, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually uh, was involved with um, IT data processing uh, type of initiatives for the bank. Um, I, I first got involved with um, mainframe security, uh, working on ACF2, RACF, and Top Secret. Uh, was that was that back in the day when you could hack a phone by just dialing random digits? Well, that's phone freaking. Yeah, that was <laughs> freaking. That was, that's yeah, right. That, that, was, yeah. that was part of uh, kind of the allure that also got me involved. I mean, even prior to working in the bank, uh, even as at the age of let's say it was 16, 17 years old, I got my first uh, Handy One Thousand SX computer from Radio Shack when wow. it used to be around. What kind of operating system did that? Have? It was an IBM compatible, you know, oh, and wow. uh, DOS, DOS based, DOS uh, based, yeah, DOS based. So it was a lot of fun, you know, um, trying to program. Operations. What was the biggest threat back then relative to like today? Um, back then, you know, the systems were um, pretty much uh, had remote access uh, through dialing. Uh, so dial-up security was uh, uh, pretty. Pretty challenging, candidly. I think there wasn't a lot of focus and and uh, concerted interest on monitoring yeah. um, those type of systems. I mean, mm -hmm. it just it came up came up as part of audits that were performed on on the banking systems. Um, so I, I think it, it has definitely evolved uh, from that point. Sure, it's yeah. Become more of a a routine activity for for many organizations to have uh, IT security type re uh, representatives. Yeah, I think. You know, back then it was more analog in terms of- It was definitely analog. Uh, and so now there, I, I feel like there's more vectors for attack nowadays because there's so many like this layers and although it's, I would say it's a little bit more secure nowadays too. Well, yeah, some things are, are uh, new and advanced and some things still remain the same. Right. Um, yeah, so some of the common challenges that we face uh, are, you know, basic blocking and tackling what you call in the industry is, you know, putting the right level of uh, um, access controls, you know, uh, enabling a proper level of authentication. Mm -hmm. And then people still putting passwords on post-it notes, putting it on post-it <laughs> notes. I remember in the days we used to, we used to do um, routine audits within the bank and other, other firms that I work for uh, where we would look for, do clean, uh, like a clean desk uh, review and see if mm -hmm. there was any type of, uh, information, uh, confidential passwords, credentials of that nature that would be stored. A lot of times everybody was looking at under the stapler or under the keyboard or something of that nature where, you know, users would uh, essentially hide their passwords, you know. Yeah. Some things don't change, I guess. Some things don't change. So technology improves so humans are humans. It, that is uh, the the main culprit in many of the, the cases that we experience is mm -hmm. because it, it's not because of like the hacking into a system. It's it's user error. 
or, you know, um, just not having enough understanding and awareness of, of the, the actions that they're taking. Yeah. So you were 16, 17 when you initially became interested, you wanted to be a hacker. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I think you could call it that, but, uh, it wasn't, uh, it it was kind of an, an interesting experience for me because, um, the, the concept of a hacker, uh, really had, uh, different meanings, uh, to others and, and some hackers, uh, quote unquote hackers were considered more of the, the professionals that, um, really looked at it from the purest way of dealing with IT versus those that had the more, you know, I guess the, um, yeah, the bad kind of behavior that people think that hackers are actually doing. And in fact, when I worked at another bank, uh, we actually had a consultation with outside, uh, counsel to even have discussions about what is a white hat hacker? What's a black hat hacker? What's mm-hmm. a gray hat hacker? And each one of those has a different type of meaning. Right. Um, and yeah. we even went through, um, you know, as far as screening for employees, you know, if they, if they were known hackers, we wouldn't hire them. Yeah. Um, so, but there's also a place for like really uh, a lot of, a lot of companies have bouncy programs. Yes. Where they, they'll pay out if you find a vulnerability and that's where I guess a white, white hack. Yeah, th- would... that's exactly right. They have their, their, uh, you know, paid opportunities to, to uncover if there's, you know, uh, errors in, in the coding, um, you know, and a lot, if there's been crowdsourcing of those type of arrangements to, mm-hmm. uh, to help identify and, and ferret out or, you know, vet out applications. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some benefits there to, to help with, you know, kind of improving the overall security, uh, for certain certain things like applications. I don't know if you know this, but I actually was suspended from high school for hacking. Oh, were you? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hear the story? I would love to hear the story. Uh, man, it's been, it was a while ago, but uh, this is back in the Windows 2000 days. Yeah. And um, both parents worked, so I was after school often, and uh, they blocked all the game sites. Back then it was like Flash games. Flash games, yeah. So I was like, you know, I'll just crack the, you know, the administrator password and I'll give myself access to miniclip.com or whatever it was, if you remember those sites. So I think uh, back then, like Ubuntu was the new thing. And I I put on a flash drive and I got like a SAM file, it was called, and it had the hash of the admin password on it. The hash. And I, I found out about rainbow tables and I was able to brute force it. It took like a week. My computer was running for a straight week, just testing passwords. That's absolutely right. Used yeah. to, used to be uh, brute forcing the password, mm-hmm. you know, use, utilizing these uh, rainbow tables. Um, I, I remember actually doing that against uh, a lot of PC Anywhere hosts, you know, against yeah. remote access hosts, yeah. you know, into systems. And uh, I remember in particular, I had a, one instance where I was actually paid. Uh, I was working as a, a consultant um, and contracted to to test um, the, the environment for this uh, one um, well, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. They're well-known uh, publisher. And we uh, actually went in. It was a team of us that went in, and I was the one focused on the remote access with PC Anywhere testing. We did uh, kind of brute force, and I was able to um, gain access into the environment through a uh, connected system, hmm. and, which was obviously connected to the rest of the network. And yeah. so we used that, and, and it, was a, it was just a, a single uh, desktop within the HR division um, that wow. had PC Anywhere. 
And I remember actually getting on the system and uh, the administrator or, or the person that was uh, the user, they thought uh, to start chatting with me, like, who is this? You know, they were mm. chatting and I told them I'm the IT administrator and I need to do some maintenance. And I said, okay, proceed. So I did. I proceeded. <laughs> I kept on going. Tell me about some of the more like fascinating cases you may have worked with like clients and some yeah. of the issues they've had. You know, I, I know that I've dealt with insider threat um, and insider threat to the point that it's, you know, those that are most trusted within the organization, yeah. within the administrative function. So can you define that? Yeah. So like uh, security administrators, those that have okay. actual, um, you know, so to speak, the crown jewels, the keys, keys to the kingdom, as mm -hmm. we often affectionately say in, in the industry. Um, but they have uh, the the actual administrative accounts to the systems, and they they network. pose potentially the biggest threat. They do pose, especially the if they're disgruntled or something. One instance where I worked at a bank in uh, in New York, um, well known bank, and um, uh, to this day, and uh, there was at that time. This was in the early early nineties. Um, they had uh, um, bulletin board systems. And I remember uh, working. And what's a bulletin board system? Yeah, so it's the early days of social media. Basically, it was right. a, you know uh, a way for um, you know groups in like interests uh, to connect online. BBS online. It was BBS. This is the yep. early days of the internet. You know, yep. uh, I mean, I'm re you know dating myself. This but is kind of like forums, right? Yeah, forums that are out there, and people are kind of communicating, communicating, and chatting, and sharing uh, of information and files. Um, well, this one administrator was accessing uh, the BBS systems and uh, essentially was uh, sharing uh, viruses uh, oh. and cobbled viruses together to, to basically breach, you know, systems or cause, you know, cause havoc on systems. And more importantly, they were using the bank systems to develop um, the code. And oh, wow. that, and they were then passing that out. So there was a big research that, uh, you know, investigation that had to go into that, uh, to prove that point that was going on later in my years, I worked in, uh, under contract for the uh, FDIC. Uh, and, uh, I was involved with a lot of these things that we're hearing about with bank closures, you know, bank resolutions, let me put it that way. And, um, so in one of the instances where we were doing a, a review, um, for uh for the bank and doing some due diligence we uh understood or uncovered that um there was a collusion um that was occurring within uh within the environment between the it uh and the um the, the chief chief risk officer if you will and when you say collusion what were they trying to accomplish exactly um basically circumventing uh access controls enabling them to have access to you know um you know funds funds yeah, and that's typically what's the issue. Right. It's, but isn't um, that so traceable? I mean, they would You would think, but then when you have an administrative uh a privilege, there's the There are ways to obfuscate obfuscate the uh the, the way to get in. You can create some unique uh profiles uh that are seemingly, you know, uh trusted or authorized to have access. What are they, you yeah. can modify <laughs> you can modify at that time it was modification of logs. Right. Um oh, so I see. you can taint the logs. I see. So they wouldn't be able to trace it. Yeah. So it'd make it more difficult. So I, it, it was, it was pretty alarming to me that, you know, insider threat was that pervasive and that, you know, like mm. real. That's interesting. So log tampering, is that still a potential issue? It's, it's 
much more difficult nowadays. In fact, yeah. uh, I think there are techniques that are out there right now to to have more um, uh, non repudiation and, and trust in the in the laws itself. And that's partially why blockchain is kind of so powerful. Absolutely, blockchain is very powerful um, because you can't help. You can't. I mean, it, it, there there is uh, a sense of like uh, integrity with uh, that overall blockchain. But it has to be decentralized, right? It has to be decentralized. Because a centralized blockchain can still be tampered with technically. That is correct because, you know, that that's the challenge with a lot of these systems. If you have it in a central location, then, you know, if, if you're able to manipulate, then there is no there is no trust behind that. So I know this isn't necessarily security specific, but do you are you finding a lot more activity or, or usage of the blockchain technology with banking or other in sectors? other uh, other applications yeah even just in farming I mean you know knowing where crops are coming from you know their blockchain is also oh, like supply chain yeah supply chain in in the overall grand scheme of things if you want to understand where certain products are are coming from again agriculture agriculture or if it's uh you know even in the meat processing you know knowing where um you know cows so what is the incentive for these companies to implement the decentralized solution? Is it because the vendors they're working with require that level of transparency or, I mean, what, what's the, what's the catalyst? Because they can just use their own internal databases, but there's always going to be that, um, notion of trust, right? Yeah. It's a, it, that's the whole point concept behind uh, blockchain is to to uh, create this level of trust uh, amongst all the parties that are you know involved in that so overall supply chain mm -hmm. well and that's the one thing i can say i i'm constantly learning about you know these type of technologies and you know advancements and uh that's that's the appeal behind cybersecurity. it's not you know it's not a static thing it's always evolving it's always evolving it's always evolving yeah, yeah. so speaking of which um can you walk us through kind of the evolution of, of the threats themselves and also the mitigations or, you know, I don't think companies necessarily spent a whole lot back then. Nowadays, a lot is being spent, but there's a lot of solutions that kind of makes it easier for companies to implement cybersecurity without necessarily needing a whole department for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think back when we're going, you know, the days that I was working in, in the, the bank and, and dealing with uh, security uh, in that capacity, there were administrators, there were, you know, auditors, there, you know, there were sometimes teams and armies of, of individuals that were involved in, in helping, um, you know, address security from all different angles. The days of, you know, virus protection has involved to not just, you know, putting antivirus now, it's really looking at an endpoint. You know the full endpoint kind of capabilities uh, of uh, looking at it more dynamically, more routinely at the at the endpoint, and understanding if there are any kind of um, you know uh, malware or issues that are occurring there, and uh, also taking stock of what's what's on the network. You mm -hmm. know through you know understand what endpoints are out there. That's the that's been a big uh, pain point so for a lot of companies knowing what. What are your assets? What are right. what you're trying to protect? And that includes like endpoints that sit between an email link. Like uh, I think, I've yeah, seen... like your desktop, your even you know, um, your, your so ADAs. endpoint management, yeah, Microsoft Intune, That's all right. of those things. All those things are are you know used in uh, 
in harmony um, to to kind of to minimize yeah to minimize the you know right. the, the the landscape if you will from yeah. a tax surface yeah. perspective. I think of with when Bitcoin came out. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden you can blackmail people for their data. You know how they have the uh, what do you call them? When they they basically encrypt your hard drive or your data, mm -hmm. and then there's a note that says if you want us to Ransom. decrypt it ransomware. That's ransomware. right. Um, I mean, I was like, that's insane, but it's actually really really intelligent. I, it's like it's like spy versus spy. You're, you're always trying to yeah. be on top of it and think of what the next attack is going to look like. Well, I think all of that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it it also gets into the psyche of you know the people that are actually doing this type of thing you would think if they're that smart why don't they just get a job well they can why, why? because it, <laughs> it, it, they can get more money doing that that's than you good, know to tell you the truth point. i mean yeah. it is a it's in a multi-billion dollar if not you know trillion dollar business and that's why there's a lot of these uh regulations that are in place right now that have really propped up because we're trying to put a little bit more control mm. um like so much to what they're trying to do with tiktok Similar with the CFIUS, the Committee for Foreign Investment in U.S. Uh, assets. Yeah, so they, you know, they want to essentially um, restrict any of the uh, the Chinese, you know, create a, a wall, if you will, between uh, Chinese-owned and U.S.-owned. More or less, the data going back and forth. It's 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 all about the data, right? Quite honestly, and there's so much data now being captured everywhere. Yes, it's almost impossible to plug it. Or prevent it from, you know, going into the wrong hands. Yeah, I mean, in reality, is all of our data is already exposed. I it mean, is, it, and you know, we, it's almost like we give it voluntarily. It's like here you go. And many times it is, you know, right. that's that's the case. But you know, I know that you know, uh, I, there's sites called uh, I I've been pwned or have you been pwned or yes, something. Like I've that. heard of that. Yeah, and uh, I think I remember putting in my my own uh, email. So accounts. can you explain to the audience what those websites are? Yeah, those those websites actually provide insight into um, you know known um, you know known hacked um, sites you know or, or locations that so you can it. enter your password and it'll tell you what your user ID or your email is what I, I put in there oh, okay. and then it will tell you if it's been compromised on a certain site like if it's been already uh, put onto some you know uh, website like Wastebin or if it's uh, if it's been you know, uh, disclosed as part of some kind of breach already, mm -hmm. you know, it will tell you, um, and then you would go change your password. Yeah. Then you can, you can go through the, you know, the activities of changing your password, which is probably a good practice anyway, yeah. uh, to, to do that if you're still using passwords. What, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nowadays MFA multi-factor authentication, that's super important. It's absolutely important. If right. I, I mean, I've I've read you know multiple studies, and even even Microsoft has put something out there, and I I don't want to quote them, but you know I know that they they indicate that you know a, a large portion or percentage of um, a lot of the breaches that are out there could have been prevented if they had multi-factor in place. And uh, I mean, even when it comes to like multi-factor, uh, there is applications like. Microsoft and Google Authenticator versus using a text message, which is not secure because now they're spoofing your SIM card. Yeah, spoofing <laughs> SIM cards. You know, there there are different applications. I, I've even used certain applications, you know, that have the multi-factor with a texting feature. And then, you know, I've had uh, uh, somebody try to contact me to indicate that, you know, they're an administrator or, you know, they're part of that application 
um, I'm, I'm thinking like, uh, you know, um, when you're trying to online, you know, sell, uh, sell goods, you know, there, there are different applications to do that. I don't want to name them, but, um, you'll where, get a spam email. Yeah. You get a spam email or you may even get a phone call, you know, which is yeah. kind of interesting, you know, they're, yeah, they're getting they're trying everything. Yeah. They're trying, <laughs> by, like I said earlier, by any means necessary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a lot of people fall for it because I mean, they just don't know any better or they, they can't distinguish between the, the real email or the fake email. And it's, it's, it's really sad. Very challenging. And now there are, there are tools that are out there, uh, that, that the adversaries, hackers, you know, if you want black hat hackers, if you will, they're using, uh, to, to essentially create these, um, these scripts, you know, and sending them out, you know, via mm -hmm. email. And it's no longer just, you know, looking for, you know, you know, errors, grammatical issues or anything that those are really kind of surpa it's surpassed that, you know, and now you're getting into artificial intelligence that actually is it's a great kind of, topic. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm teeing that up now, but yeah, you yeah. know, because that's a, that's a whole new evolution of, uh, you know, uh, security challenges that we need to think. So uh, it's, it's both good and bad, right? Artificial intelligence greatly enhances our ability to be secure and, and identify risks. It also greatly enhances the ability to create viruses, vulnerabilities, malware, ransomware. I think, you know, th these type of uh, uh, pain points that we're, or challenges we're seeing are going to be pervasive. I mean, it's going to be uh, something that we have to kind of evolve uh, as, as an industry, if you will. Uh, I think that the, the biggest thing that I see, though, is... You know, what's common across all of this is the education of this and just bringing awareness. And no matter, you know, whatever the issue is, circumstances, putting the putting that information out there and letting people be aware and understand, you know, that there are different ways and means that um, the attackers are always going to be looking at, you know, how to get in. So just to, to create that training vigilance, you know, if you will. Right. Yeah, yeah, putting in training. Because the layman is not going to know the latest threats. They're not. They're not. Not everybody can. There's so much information out there. So what, you know? what do companies do? I mean, what do your clients do to keep their employees kind of up to date on? Yeah, the com the common element that I'm seeing right now is a phishing. And phishing tests, you phishing. know, do that. And then, they, you know, they say, ah, oh, I gotcha. You know, oh, no. so they'll send the employee an email. Yeah, yeah. They'll have an outside help, you know, do that. Or they use a, a utilize a, a product uh, to kind of do that. And they'll configure it so that they can create these uh, random campaigns, if you will, to, to try to in an attempt to, I want to say fool the employee, but to try to lure them to see if they would ex expose information in order for somebody to understand, you know, that they need to be mindful of this. It has to be part of the, the culture, you know, and it has to be indoctrinated as part of how you, how you, uh, you know, uh, train and create that awareness within the organization. And by the way, that's the, the whole concept of doing it, not only from the employee going up, the bottom up, Mm -hmm. it's the top down too because mm -hmm. uh, they're just as uh, suspect and if not uh, the likely candidates that are going to be uh, fish for example right. or or you know where there's going to be attempts to try to compromise so i think uh, awareness has to be pervasive throughout the organization it has to be exercised on a continuous basis it uh, has to you know do different types of techniques not just a fishing technique i think sometimes just going yeah. through 
like even take this off. If, if someone gets your password and that's sufficient, then you have a, a different problem. You got a big, you got a, got a, a, a bigger problem. problem. You got a different problem, yeah. but it's a bigger problem because now, you know, they have that information and they can pivot. I wanted to ask you, um, so there's this movement towards improving security and that's kind of always ongoing. Mm -hmm. How do companies balance that between innovation? Because I see security as almost the antithesis to some degree of um, uh, innovation because it slows down processes and then it, well, the more you lock things down, for example, my work application, I can't even copy and paste something from one application to another. Right. No, I can't even copy it. You know what I mean? So you're trying to bypass it now. Right? You're going to figure <laughs> out a way. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think uh, with innovation, obviously, it, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, goodness, if you will, with that. It, it brings, you know, the opportunities, the efficiencies, you know, growth uh, for, for organizations. But, you know, obviously it introduces some additional level of risks in, in some, some cases. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's just understanding uh, the technology. Maybe putting uh, uh, measures, uh, risk indicators, you know, kind of metrics in place to understand how the uh, innovation is uh, not only providing the value, but uh, managing managing risk. Have you seen any clients do, this is just something I thought of, um, like a sandbox environment where it's a free-for-all, there's no security in place, but it's completely isolated from the main operation. Uh, from a research and development perspective, have you seen? Is that something that is common at all? No, it, it is common. I mean, you're going to have to do some R and D, I would think, and you can you can isolate. Um, but what the problem is is, and again, this has been through my own experience. I, I worked on another client where you know is a is a cable um, cable box um, manufacturer. You know, so they, as an example, they had their their technology. You know, their latest and greatest technology. It was more from a, they were trying to market the technology, mm -hmm. um, but they claimed that it was isolated, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what happened when we did the review, um, and it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't isolated. Right. And, you know, what was seemingly, you know, hey, they, they applied certain controls, you know, again, a human factor came into play. Um, one of their uh, developers and administrator um, actually enabled access into the you know, the production environment of the network. And, um, you know, seemingly this set-top box, if you will, uh, provided the the, uh, the gateway into mm -hmm. the environment. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's important for people to understand kind of the boundaries mm -hmm. and what's part of the ecosystem, if you will. Right. Uh, the IT ecosystem. Take page. a high-level view and then drill down. Right. And, and you know, be open-minded that it's not just, you know, what was what's in your capacity of control. It's what is also in the capacity of your, your providers uh, right. and the third parties that you're working with. And that is right. another area. Everyone has their own security risk. I guess that makes sense, you know, given all of that, why startup can outcompete a big company because the stakes are a lot lower when you don't have that much data mm -hmm. and they're able to move a lot quicker. Yeah, they're more agile. Yeah, sure. abso absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but um, as... As they evolve, as they grow, yeah. Eventually, they yeah, they have to do it. right. And you know, depending on the industry, you know, because I, I deal a lot with financial services. I deal with regulated industries, healthcare. Um, I'll deal in certain respects retail. Um, you know, those that that are governed by some type of 
uh, state, local, or federal requirement. And, yeah. And, and generally, those, even if they're a small firm, um, they still have to eventually evolve and, right. and be governed by those, right. those laws and stuff. But hopefully there's, you know, solutions that help them so that they're not spending all that time and resources. Yeah. Yeah. I think much. I think from from my perspective, it's you know, and what I do on a routine basis is try to help organizations mature uh, their thinking related to cybersecurity and just you know overall risk management. Yeah, um, it's it's educating mm-hmm. and going through that process with them. Um, so we do a lot of handholding. I'll, I'll say it that way. I mean, because we have uh, clients that are all size and scale, and you would think that uh, the you know the the small, um, you know, kind of mom and pop proprietorship don't have that many problems, but they do. They have just yeah, as I mean, many problems as the large enterprise. What advice would you have for someone who's maybe still in school that's looking into cybersecurity? Is it is it, you know, a very promising field? It is. I mean, um, I can I can say when I was going to school, you know, a couple of decades back. Uh, I wasn't uh, as exposed to the insurance, information assurance, and cybersecurity programs that they actually have as um, you know, actual degrees. Yeah, um, they flesh them out now. Yeah, they they've actually developed those, and you know, it's it's you know, it's so enlightening to see that those that this profession has really evolved uh, mm-hmm. in that capacity. Um, I would say, you know, if I were to give advice to those that are in this field is, you know, never stop learning for one thing. I mean, it's not a, it's not an end game, you know, um, it's, you know, it's a journey that they have to, right. they have to go I through. I think that's this. the biggest thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything related to technology. Really. It, it's, yeah, it's an evolution of yourself and maturation of how you look at things and, you know, and, and evolving in the field that way. Um, you know, there's the, the old uh, adage, it's not a matter of if, it's when, mm-hmm. but it's now it's translated to when and how often, you right. know. And so what I'm bringing up is that it's going to continuously uh, evolve. And, and, you know, that's something as part of this field, it will be evolving. Right. So again, tying so it all back, need, yeah. let them do the research, gain more knowledge, you know, right. and we need pioneers. Yeah. We need pioneers in that space. That's right. exactly right. Because right. I think there's, you know, a lot of things that are, are the same, but you know, there are these new innovations and things that are going to be, you know, distinct and we have to understand them. What advice would you give your 20 year old self if you can go back in time? And my, myself, <laughs> oh yeah. It doesn't have to be career related by the way. No, no, no. But I, I, I could say that, um, you know, if I look at it from, um, you know, just an overall, uh, experience and what I've been involved, um, you know, obviously not be naive because, you know, like I said, I taught. Does that work though? Just saying, Hey, don't be naive. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Sometimes you just got to stumble. Yeah. You got to stumble, but uh, you know, always think about it from the perspective that you can challenge. You have to challenge, you have to use uh, professional, uh, you know, scrutiny and skepticism and things. I mean, uh, sometimes what is seemingly you know, supposed to be secure is not always secure. I mean, mm-hmm. if I'm looking at a translator from a, a career perspective, right? Uh, independent Basically, of that, don't don't take anything at face value. Don't take anything at face value. I, what I hear a lot too, by the way, is um, you know, there's a reliance on SOC reports, the service organization type reports that people put out the there. Be all end all. Be all end all. And while I I can give them a lot of merit, I agree that there is some um, there is you know a, an element that people have gone through. Uh, the appropriate level of due diligence, mm-hmm. but it's not all encompassing. It works until it doesn't. 
it works until it doesn't. And it's only a state of, a state of point, you know, like, right. a, um, you know, done the review and, and this is what they've observed during this period. But again, it doesn't talk about the, the complete picture of what the organization, you know, the provider, if you will, or the third party, the vendor that you're working with, that you're requesting the SOC reports. So my advice is, you know, again, tying it back mm-hmm. uh, to the advice, you know, trust but verify. I mean, the, uh, the old adage that Ronald Reagan put out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you have to. And, and, and that helps evolve, you know, enhancement and better controls that are going to be applied. And, and it, like I said, from a cybersecurity, it's never all, uh, never ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate this uh, conversation. Where can people find you on uh, social media or? Yeah, they can find me on social media, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I have, uh, uh, you know, a Twitter account, you know, at RaySoriano1, you know, the number one. Um, they can also, you know, essentially reach me at uh, Eisner Amper, you know, um, my full name, Raymond.Soriano at EisnerAmper.com. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm online. I'm pretty much uh, social. Plugged in. I'm a social butterfly <laughs> when it comes to that. So I, I am pretty plugged in, dialed in. Great. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you very much. I and appreciate it. Hopefully we can have another session sometime in the I'm future. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. More to talk about.